0: And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys, on the line, I got Ray McGovern. Of course, he was the chief analyst of the Soviet division at the CIA way back when, was the morning briefer for Vice President George Bush Sr. in the 1980s, and has been a great anti-war guy this whole century long so far and counting. And of course, he's a regular at antiwar.com. Did I say uh, co-founder of Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Ray. How are you, sir?
1: Thanks, Scott. Doing well.
0: Good. Happy to have you here. So listen, I saw you on the TV, man. You're testifying in front of the United Nations Security Council, of all things. That must have been a first, huh?
1: It was a first for me. Uh, I suspect it will be the last as well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, so what'd you tell them?
1: Well, the uh, the topic for discussion was the blowing up of the Nord Stream pipelines mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Cy Hirsch's uh, article uh, spelling out chapter and verse about that. Uh, By the so way, I'm going to addressed... talk
0: with him. Well, I'm scheduled to talk to him in a couple of hours here, so we'll see how good. it goes.
1: Good, good. Yeah, well, um, what, what can I say? I, I could say that... Uh, um, When people uh, smear, that's the right word, when they smear Cy Hirsch, uh, it's really uh, the, uh, it's giving hypocrisy a bad name. Uh, When you have the CIA spokesperson, what's her name? Tammy Thorpe, I think. Yeah. When she says that uh, what Hirsch writes is, quote, completely and utterly false, well, end quote. Well, that that goes back, that that reminds me of 20 years ago, Scott. You you may remember this. Um, 20 years ago, the U.S. and Britain uh, were preparing to invade, to attack Iraq on false pretenses. Now, this is a little uh, piece of history that hardly anyone knows. You no doubt remember, but someone gave... Newsweek, a copy, an authentic copy of the debriefing of Hussein Kamel, uh, one of Saddam Hussein's sons-in-law, uh, on weapons of mass destruction, <laughs> destruction in Iraq. Now, here's the deal.
0: Man, you know, um, I didn't know that, Ray. I don't have that note. I have, you know, I know he, he did an interview on CNN. I remember I got it in my brain. I watched it with my own eyes in 1996. When in and you can find the transcript of that. But yeah. I did not know that Newsweek had gotten a hold of what his CIA debriefing?
1: Uh well it was a, a CIA debriefing, a separate but identical MI six British intelligence oh, debriefing. My God, are you kidding me? And Who had that? Isnikov? And and he was no, no, and he was debriefed by three UN inspectors. It happened in 1995. Yeah. I mean, I knew all just, that.
0: I just didn't know that yeah. you could read all that. That you're blowing yeah. my mind. I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. While I Google.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, what happened was um, John Kelly of Newsweek was given the transcript. Now, uh, I happen to know who gave him the transcript, and uh, if you don't tell anybody else in the world uh, I'll give you his initials (laughs) it was you no (laughs) No. (laughs) it was another fellow named Scott Ah. Scott Scott Ritter of course Now there's there's a back story here Scott pulled his hair out he tried to get people to recognize there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq he knew it because he was a UN inspector and verified all that okay he couldn't get in to see his senator Hillary Clinton, he couldn't get in to see the Senate Foreign Relations Committee run by Joe Biden and Tony Blinken, and so in a he saw the the war coming, of course, and so exactly, yeah, what's today? The twenty fourth. Exactly one year ago, Newsweek ran a little blurb. Now I have the little blurb here. Let me see if I can retrieve it, so I'm not. Uh, I'm not speaking off the top of my head here. Um, well, suffice it to say, uh, the the transcript read this way. This is a virtual quote. All chemical, biological, uh, missile, strategic missiles, and radio radiological nuclear programs were destroyed in 1995. Uh, According to Saddam Hussein's son-in-law, who defected and told this to the British, the U.S., and to the U.N. inspectors in 1995, Mm -hmm. they asked him, uh, well, how do you know? And Hussein Kamel said, well, I don't know how it works in your country, but um, like I was in charge, right? And I ordered them destroyed. And then they said, well, yeah, can you prove it? Did Did you go and see if they were destroyed? And he said, well, yeah, I did a couple. Wait a second. Uh, Are you trying to tell me, are you trying to get me to say that they're still there? (laughs) Anyhow, the transcript was made available to Newsweek, All right? Now, John Barry, uh, I mean, imagine he held his nose, but he said that, hey, editors, we really have to say something about this, right?
0: You know, I found the article, but they don't have the hot links to the documents here anymore at all.
1: Well, surprise, surprise! Yeah. I got them all. If anybody's
0: interested, I I want them. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I'll post so, them on my uh, own on my own site. I have kind of an archive at scotthorton.org of hard to find PDFs hey. and things like that. So I will do that. But anyway, I'm Good. sorry. Go ahead, Ray.
1: Okay, no problem. So, um, so what happens? Well, uh, Barry decides he's got to he's got to publish something on this. Just too embarrassing not to. And so his editors give him permission to put a little periscope item. You know what those were? Those little things, a uh-huh. so little blurbs. Okay. So he and he, he spills the beans. He said, "This is according to a source that knows, uh, had access to this information, actually had charge of these these weaponry. This weaponry. Okay. So what happens? That's the twenty fourth of February on their website, Newsweek." And they publish it the next week. Okay, so what do the what do the mainstream media uh, people do? They, oh my God! Oh my God! Like we better find out about this. And so where do they go? They go up to Langley, Virginia, to talk to the PR person who was in charge of all this uh, for the CIA. His name was Bill Harlow. And what did Bill say? Bill said, "This is quote an incorrect." It's bogus. It's wrong, and besides that, it's untrue. <laughs> <End quote. laughs> yeah, he said all
0: those things because he couldn't explain how or why in any way.
1: Yeah, well, this is not surprising. I mean, the guy was this guy was a liar from the, I, from, the, from the from the word go. And but- by
0: the way, look, I, I'm sorry, I have to say, and I'm not bragging. I'm just saying because this is the benchmark. Because for just regular people, anybody who was paying attention at all in 1995 in 1996, knew the story of Hussein Kamel and what he had said there. And then when Dick Cheney, and I know I'm pretty sure you made a big deal about this at the time in, you know, the same day or the next day. And when Dick Cheney brought up Hussein Kamel in the VFW speech in August of 2002, we all went, what? And, you know, threw our hands up and laughing and mocking and saying, you see what a premeditated lying SOB this guy is? When he gets up there and he says, yeah, Hussein Kamel admitted that they kept some stuff after 1991 and then he just completely omits the rest of the sentence, which is but then they got busted and they destroyed it all by the end of 1991 and they never were shown to have a scrap of anything since then verified by the U.N. and the U.S. in 1995 And confirmed by him, he was confirming what they already knew was that they destroyed it all by the time he defected. And so for Dick Cheney to get up there and he's lying, who's he lying to? He's lying right to the faces of the guys who fought in World War II, Korea and Vietnam and telling them, give me your sons, give me your grandsons based on this just outright lie. It's incredible to see. And, you know, for anyone who was wise to it and I was wise to it at the time, it was unbelievable to see him go that far uh, the same guy was claiming that Iraq you know met with Mohammed Atta in the Czech Republic che- Czechoslovakia as he called it when during his lies but anyway
1: yeah well Scott you're quite right I would just uh, add that uh, of the over 4,000 US soldiers killed not to mention the hundreds of thousands Iraqis uh, you know Rudyard Kipling had this line. He said, "You know, if they, if they ask us why we died, tell them because our fathers lied." Uh, He was talking about his own son, uh, that he got enrolled in the British Army underage, and two years later was killed. So these are personal things. These are people who have been killed. These are people who have been sold a bill of goods. That is not true. Now, Cheney, let me, you know, this gets awful dreary. That's why I, I love interviewing
0: you. you. We're like seven minutes down this path, this tangent of Iraq war two. And this is just a metaphor for a point about Ukraine you're making, but I'm with you. Keep going.
1: Yeah. Well, I was going to say that, uh, you know, um, my my friends, my Catholic friends are are very devout people, and and they pray hard. And one woman came up to me during all this, uh, very very bright woman who kept up with the news, and she said, "Ray, I don't know if God is is hearing my prayers anymore." I said, "Why that?" She said, "Well, I, every time Dick Cheney goes into the hospital with a serious heart problem, <laughs> I, I pray so hard and." And then he always gets better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so, so pardon this little aside, but it was so obvious. Now I would say a word about Scott, Ritter. I, I, I know that he gave this thing to Newsweek and it was a, an act of desperation. And I mean, Scott was not going to sit by and watch this war happen Well, without pulling out all the stops, okay? so he, yeah, look, gave the
0: he deserves credit for no doubt, no matter what people think of him now and his different circumstances. At that time, he wasn't just writing articles. He was doing everything he could to try to get people to disbelieve the lies about the weapons. And, you know, the day of Colin Powell's U.N. speech, he was in Tokyo giving a speech of his own about how this is all lies. Don't believe it. And don't let them do this. So that's going the extra mile, man.
1: He's still doing it. And uh, I'm proud to call him a close friend. Now, uh, no one knew better than Scott Ritter, former U.N. inspector as to what happened to those weapons of mass destruction that weren't there. Let me just uh, add a thing or two, because this is really, really, really sad. Um, The fellow who could have verified and knew that there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq uh, is the fellow named James Clapper. He was an Air Force general. And uh, when Bobby Gates was uh, Defense Secretary, he made sure that James Clapper came in to run what CIA used to run in an objective way, namely the analysis of imagery intelligence, okay? Satellite stuff, all kinds of stuff. They would come down to an outfit called the National uh, Imagery Interpretation Center, NPIC, and we would have purview over and not anal- analyzing that. Now, so so before Cuba, for example, we found those intermediate range ballistic missiles in Cuba. Now, that was given kit and caboodle to the Defense Department in 1967, no, 1997. And so the Defense Department is now running imagery analysis. James Clapper was appointed to be head of this group. Now, long story short, he wrote. He wrote in his memoir, quote, Dick Cheney was insistent that we find weapons of mass destruction, and so we picked out 121 sites, and we just uh, looked at it very carefully, and I accept responsibility for this. Uh, We found things that weren't there, period, end quote. (laughs) (laughs) He erased
0: that in his book. <laughs> yeah, in other words, he was lying. He's going, to, oh, look, a building with a roof. Well, you know what could be under that roof if you use your imagination, Ray. Yeah. And then he's the same guy who, and this lie, of course, originated in Israel, but Clapper picked it up and said, Oh, yeah, no, I verified that's true. Putin came down from Russia and helped them move Saddam's chemical weapons
1: to Syria. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's how I mean, crazy. They really can't.
0: tried that, everybody. I swear to God. Yeah. Google it. It's true.
1: Sure. Well, now, the clapper is also... I mean, it's not true, but issue.
0: I'm saying it's true that they lied that it was true. Sorry.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, very, it's very true that they lied through their teeth. Yeah, it that sounds like I'm true. lying
0: that I'm making that up because it sounds so <laughs> stupid, you know?
1: Well, Clapper, you know, was asked, you know, about the Russians and he said, oh, well, you know, I have a lot of experience with Russians, you know, and, and you know, look at their look at their history. They are almost genetically inclined to deceive, to mislead, to do blah, 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 blah. blah. Wait a second now, Clapper. Almost genetically? <laughs> I mean, this is the guy running the entire U.S. intelligence community, including the CIA? Now, what kinds of people do you suppose James Clapper would put in charge of Russian analysis. Well, people who know about this uh, chromosome advantage that the Russians have of being almost genetically inclined to, 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 to be deceitful, okay? So that's what we've been exposed to here. The point I want to make here is th- th- the point that's important now, and that is that when, when um, Newsweek publishes, and it's just a couple sentences. I have the text, I found it, here it is. Hussein Kamel, the highest ranking Iraqi official ever to defect from Saddam Hussein's inner circle, told CIA and British intelligence officers and U.N. inspectors in the summer of 1995 that after the Gulf War, Iraq destroyed all its chemical and biological weapons stocks and missiles to deliver them. Kamel had direct knowledge of what he claimed For 10 years, he had run Iraq's nuclear, chemical, biological, and missile programs, period, end quote. So that's what John Barry put in Newsweek. What happened? The media in Washington descended on CIA headquarters and asked this fellow, Bill Harlow, who uh, I remember his last name easily because it rhymes with harlot. Okay. What he said was this. uh, I'll say it again. Okay. This is incorrect, bogus, wrong, untrue. And so when Cy Hirsch comes out with this incredibly detailed, authoritative article about how the US blew up Nord Stream, well, it, it's no surprise that Tammy Thorpe would say this claim is completely and utterly false. And the NSC spoke the National Security Council spokesman said the same thing. So I guess, you know, if you wanna if you wanna smear um, Cy Hirsch. Well, you ought to look at the people that are, <laughs> that are smearing him, okay? They don't and have... A good his good list record. of
0: accomplishments, too. You know, Ray, there's a lot of young people listening to this show who may not know who Cy Hirsch is. and What's so okay. special about a name-brand reporter, necessarily, anyway, right? Tell me.
1: Well, Cy is sh- still sharp as a tack. Um, he's even older than I am, okay? But he... As an independent reporter uh, found out and published on the My Lai Massacre in Vietnam, where a whole town, women and children, were massacred by Lieutenant Kelly and the U.S. Army. Uh, that story came to light because of Cy Hirsch. Uh, he has published many other stories of equal gravity and equal truthfulness, uh, the false uh, false flag chemical attacks in sarin. Now, he used to write for the New York Times back in the seventies and eighties. He was their star reporter. Then he was no longer welcome there, and so he wrote for the New Yorker, pretty pretty mainstream publication. You know, one of my and favorites
0: he... was um. He's the guy that debunked the fake assassination attempt against bush senior in kuwait in 1993 which people still believe in which is a total hoax
1: that you know what you just what you just said scott is the operative thing here people still believe it that's right
0: that's right and uh, i mean there look there's credible reason to believe that this was part of w bush's motive to go to war i mean a small part of it but
1: I, I did it you know. for my daddy. I did it to avenge my daddy. They almost killed my daddy. I'm going to do me out of it. A lot of people are naive enough to accept that sort of thing. Anyhow, uh, what happens is uh, the the correspondents, the Western journalists who go to Langley and get get fed this, uh, you know, this incorrect, bogus, wrong, untrue. They say, "Oh gosh, <laughs> thanks, Bill Harlow, for telling us," because we were. We was th- we were thinking we had to publish a story on this, and now bear in mind, twenty four February, twenty years ago, uh, was one month before the U.S. UK attack on Iraq. So it's not like these journalists uh, didn't have any time to check. On us. <laughs> no, it sufficed because. Bill Harlow said, once again, it was incorrect, bogus, wrong, and untrue. And they said, wow, thanks a lot, Bill. We don't have to publish on this. So what's happening now is exactly the same thing, except the New York Times two days ago uh, departed from the silence attending Cy Hirsch's latest bombshell, which indicates that the U.S. was behind the destruction of those Nord Stream pipelines. Now, for those of you who not don't know what the Nord Stream Pipeline is, there was a lifeline of natural gas given to Germany and the rest of Europe, which allowed them to prosper economically and to stay warm during the winter. That's the long and short of it. So they were sabotaged. Now, what did uh, the New York Times do this time? Uh, they stayed silent. No mention of Cy Hirsch, not even a mention of what... Tammy Thorpe, the CIA spokesperson, said that it's completely and utterly false. They didn't they didn't even refer to the uh, denial because then people might say, well, what was she, what was she denying? And
0: okay. look, before you now, even mention the post, I'm going to, you know, take away any credit that they get for mentioning it because they only mentioned it because it was going on a discussion about it was going on at the U.N. Security Council. Otherwise, they would not have. Give me just a minute here. At the Libertarian Institute, we publish books, real good ones. So far, we've got Will Griggs, No Quarter, Sheldon Richman's Coming to Palestine and What Social Animals Owe to Each Other, and four of mine, Fool's Aaron, Enough Already, The Great Ron Paul, and my brand new one, Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. And I'm happy to announce that we've just published our managing editor Keith Knight's first one, The Voluntarist Handbook an excellent collection of essays by the world's greatest libertarian thinkers and writers, including me. Check them all out at libertarianinstitute.org books. And for a limited time, signed copies of Enough Already and Hotter Than the Sun are available at scotthorton.org books. Hey guys, I had some wasps in my house, so I shot them to death with my trusty Bug Assault 3.0 model with the improved salt reservoir and bar safety. I don't have a deal with them, but the show does earn a kickback every time you get a bug assault or anything else you buy from Amazon.com by way of the link in the right hand margin on the front page at ScottHorton.org. So keep that in mind. And don't worry about the mess, your wife will clean it up. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all.
1: You're right about that, Scott. But indeed, that that uh, Security Council at which I spoke, by the way, uh, did go on. But still, uh, what's her name? Uh, Karen DeYoung. She's like one of the most senior people. And I am virtually certain that she had to get permission, not only from her editors, but, but from the White House to publish that. Now, that's big because they had a live link. They had a live link to Hirsch's article. It's not like it was just a a piece of, just a report on the UN Security Council the previous day. So anybody who has, uh, as most of us do, um, pays 30 bucks a a month to get the New York Times live, I can just click on that link and see what Cy Hirsch has to say. That's big. So what I'm trying to say here is that uh, that should sound the the death knell for... um, for Joe Biden, uh, somebody, there are people out in Washington that are out to get him now. And uh, if, as, uh, as it seems to be happening now, Cy Hirsch's reporting is being corroborated. If even the Germans, even the Germans come around. Now, one wait, little. Wait, factor. let me stop
0: you there. Who's corroborating yeah. it?
1: Well. Uh, there have been reports coming out of, uh, let's see, uh, one person was a uh, Gil doctora who was told by some of his sources that, uh, some people watch these people prepare to deep sea dive and, and do this. There are other people that are, are in the woodwork and, uh, I expect them to be coming out, uh, people who were in familiar in one way or another with the kind of operation it had to include and. Uh, sorrowfully for their purposes. Uh, too many people had to know about this. It's going to come out. Asai will, once again, as he always is, uh, it will be confirmed. I um, bet on it. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, it won't won't be right away. Everyone will deny it right away. I guess this really all has, has to be tied into what's going on now in Ukraine, Scott, and maybe I could speak to that just a little bit. Sure. Um, there's the situation on the ground, and um, you know I I'm a army intelligence officer, but that was 135 years ago, <laughs> so so I depend on army intelligence officers who know a hell of a lot more what's going on now. And first and foremost is Doug McGregor. And if Doug is right, um, the war of attrition that Russia has been waging is about to take off. And they're going to attrit and attrit and attrit until they get to the Dnieper River. Now, when will that happen? Um, The best guess is uh, maybe a month from now, maybe two months from now. Coincidentally, there will be a big visitor in Moscow at that precise time his name is Xi Jinping he happens to be a China person and he happens to be the head of China now why do I mention that I mention that because the tectonic shift that has happened that has been catalyzed by the Ukrainian conflict has Russia and China in a virtual military alliance against the United States now The people, the benighted, exceptional, well-educated people running our policy for Joe Biden seem not to get it. I mean, it's really incredible to watch them, to watch Blinken today at the UN, uh, telling all kinds of tales. I mean, he did everything but accuse the Russians of throwing little Ukrainian babies out of incubators, uh, the, the illusion, of course, is back to uh, the Iraq war when uh, the press ran with that fabricated story. But what did he say? Well, he said a whole bunch of things. But, uh, you know, he talked about sexual uh, uh, aggressions, all, all kinds of terrible things that the Russians are doing in Ukraine. And it was a, sort of a parody of what has happened before whenever the U.S. wants to... Or, drag up its allies and say this is terrible we have to go to war so um what's it is here?
0: notable really isn't it that it was the americans who were passing out viagra and it was to the <laughs> warlords in afghanistan to rape little kids with the people that america was putting in charge as policemen and mayors and governors yeah. the warlords of that godforsaken <laughs> land it wasn't qaddafi it wasn't Vladimir Putin. Well, we, yeah, we it was know that, George you know, W. Bush and Barack Obama that did that.
1: Yeah, we know even who did it. We have the email showing that uh, Max Blumenthal's dad, uh, Sarah Flea, was telling uh, uh, Hillary Clinton, "Hey, you know, this would be a really good one. Let's accuse Gaddafi of giving Viagra to his troops." So,
0: oh, I never yeah, saw that yeah. email.
1: Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, it's in the, it's in the word, it's in there. Uh, you could see where uh, well, yeah. WikiLeaks Just has it.
0: all the emails, including the ones released by the State Department, which the, all the Libya ones or the State Department releases. Yeah. Um, it's, and, but they're uh, at WikiLeaks. You can read them all everybody. Well, and that's Sydney Blumenthal yeah. is Max's dad.
1: That's right, Sydney. Yeah.
0: Good so, thing the Bible um, says something about the sins of the father don't count against the son. Max is a well, good th- dude.
1: Thank God for that, huh? Because yeah. Max is the best. <laughs> I don't know what the Bible says
0: about that, actually, but I'm sure you do, and it, I'm sure it says that Max is cool.
1: Well, it does say, except for Blumenthal. Yeah, uh, actually, uh, it's uh Maccabees three verse twenty six. <laughs> I make a joke. Okay, so I sexual pretend to get violence, it. Go ahead. <laughs> rape, uh, war crimes. Now it's a typical, uh, a typical arrow in the quiver of people like Blinken to accuse the other side of what you're doing. War crimes. Blowing up Nord Stream 2 and 1 is a war crime, pure and simple. Professor Francis Boyle, who has done a lot of terrific work on UN and on war crimes, has said, you know, this is as pure and simple a war crime and uh it could be prosecuted under various international statutes not the rules based international statutes whatever the hell they are <laughs> but under under existing law okay so all these things are being um, thrown at the russians and um you know it's uh, reminds me really of uh, things of the past when uh, when similar things were, were adduced, uh, stealing, stealing children. Did you know that the Russians are stealing Ukrainian children from their families and bringing them back to Russia? Did you know that? Well, just listen to Tony Blinken. He would never tell a lie. Let me go back, Scott, just so people who are coming a little bit new to this, this subject of lying, uh, when I was still on active duty, so to speak, uh, in my analyst capacity, uh, KAL, a Korean Airlines airliner, was shut down over Siberia, mm-hmm. first of September, two thousand. I'm sorry, nineteen
0: eighty-three. Yeah, and with the head of the John Birch Society on board too, and a great conspiracy was born.
1: Well, uh, I don't know about the, the passengers, but what yeah, it was I do Congressman
0: know. Larry McDonald from Georgia, Democrat. From That's Georgia. right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't really think the passengers themselves have uh, much relevance here. The idea was that the Russians shut this plane down. Now I was very much aware. Well, I'm sorry, that since that I
0: brought it up, I'll go ahead and tell you the conspiracy was that the plane landed safely in Russia and that that was the original reports. But then they mm-hmm. said that, nope, it was lost at sea and everybody was dead and you're never going to find your friend again. So that was why they were freaking out. But anyway, and then, of course, it's widely disputed about how it got shot down. But I think that may be about uh, maybe what you're about to say.
1: Well, you know, the U.S. intelligence community has excellent um, ways of finding out what happened. We have uh, actually liaison services that uh, were following this uh, by the minute. One of them was in an eastern country called Japan. So we know exactly what happened. It was the thick of night. The airliner had followed the path of an RC 135, which was an intelligence um, collection vice plane, uh, just several hours before. The Russians clearly felt it was an intelligence gathering thing by the White House. Okay, now, uh, they identified it, and and that is, it was dark, right? They went up. And they tipped their wings and they tried to get it to stop. And they got no, no response. Um, Pilot to ground. What shall I do about this? Shoot it down. And they shot it down. Okay. So were the Russians guilty of shooting down a passenger aircraft over Siberia? Yes. Did they know it was a passenger aircraft? No. (laughs) Now, the intercepted conversations that we had were whittled down from 50 minutes to eight minutes when the U.S. brought this before the U.N. Security Council. What did those eight minutes show that the Russians deliberately downed KAL-007 on the 1st of September, 1983? Now, what were the Russians accused of? Deliberately shooting that down, knowing that it was a civilian aircraft and not an intelligence collection aircraft by the US Air Force. Oh, where was that information? Oh, well, I told you it was a 50 minute uh, transcript, right? Well, that was in the other 42 minutes. (laughs) Now, how do I know that? A fellow named Alvin Snyder, who was the State Department video guy admitted later in his book he said you know we knew there was a 50 uh, 50 minute transcript but they only gave us eight minutes so we dressed that up really well and we played it i didn't know says alvin snyder until 10 years later that it was bogus They, they they deliberately concealed the fact that the russians thought it was an intelligence air force aircraft and it wouldn't respond to any any tipping of wings or whatever they do up there. It was pitch dark, and yeah, they shut it down. Did they deliberately shut it down? Yeah, yeah they deliberately shut it down. Did they know it was a peasant No, they didn't. But we conceal it now. The interesting thing is that when when Mr. Snyder wrote his book, there was not a tinge of regret. Uh, his conclusion was this, and I know this from heart. Um, the lesson is this: all countries lie including our own country uh, the price goes to whoever lies first that's the name of the game and we won we won that round now one little footnote here that was September 1st 1983 there was a major strategic exercise including ICBMs and all kinds of other strategic weaponry in November of 1983, suffice it to say, the Russians thought this was the real deal. This is the same year, 1983, when Reagan called them the evil empire, when we accused them falsely of deliberately shooting down a civilian aircraft. Two months later, we're running this major exercise, including the vice president of the United States and my friends in CIA, first and foremost, Mel Goodman knew that the Russians were thinking this is the real thing. My God, what does he do? He goes to Bobby Gates. <laughs> Bobby Gates used to work with Mel and me. He goes to Bobby Gates, who's the head of the analysis. He says, Bob, for God's sake, tell the White House to knock it off. The Russians think this is a real thing, okay? And Bobby Gates says, oh, I don't care about the Russians. Well, making Russians happy was never on the top of my to-do list, right? So what does Mel do? It goes to Bill Casey, who hates the Russians even more than than Bobby Gates. And says, Mr. Casey, for God's sake, please tell the White House the Russians think this is a real thing. What does Casey do? He tells the White House they knock it off and we all get to live a little bit longer. That's a true story. OK, I know it. I was there. Mm-hmm. I know Mel. Now, He's a good friend. So I'm sorry. Well, wait, Ray, all- I, I have to stop
0: yeah. because I think I had part of this anecdote in my head and I guess it was wrong. I'm actually going to talk to Chas Freeman later today too, and I thought, wouldn't it? Chas Freeman got in the car and drove down from Langley to DC and told them to make sure, and they swapped out the vice president for the deputy secretary of defense to sit in on the exercise, or or that's Mel that you're talking about, Mel Goodman.
1: Yeah, well, no, it was Mel. Yeah, and he's written. He's actually had a. I'm sorry, I thought I got that
0: from Chas Freeman, but I guess that's your anecdote that I'm thinking of that you've told me before, and I had just got that mixed up.
1: Yeah, now now chess uh, independently may have done the same thing, uh, or something akin to it. But well, I uh, can ask him in a
0: minute, so I think I might. But anyway, go ahead, because this well, is so important, a, no. right? And this there was also, <laughs> I think, there was a a Soviet spy in uh, a British Soviet spy inside right. NATO who told them, "Hey guys, trust me, this really is not a cover for a first strike. This is uh, just an exercise." And there was those two it. things that saved humanity.
1: You got it right. Now, his name was Gordievsky, okay? And Maggie Thatcher, to her credit, uh, made sure that Ronald Reagan knew about this, okay? And um, one little extra result of this was that Maggie Thatcher was one of the people that talked, she was very close to Ronnie, of course, and she said, you know, Ronnie, um, it looks like maybe this new fellow, Gervashev, uh he may be somebody we can deal with, but let's not let this happen again, Ronnie, okay? Let's not let this happen (laughs) again. Well, you know, they say,
0: Ray, that um, what happened was... He saw that miniseries the day after that depicted pretty good special effects for 1983. This is what it would look like to have H-bombs going off in mm. the American Midwest. And that he had nightmares about it and freaked out because it was his responsibility. It really was. And then, then he decided he was on a mission from God like the Blues Brothers to get rid of all nuclear weapons after that. like He had this kind of religious conversion because he had brought us so close to the brink there. Essentially accidentally. It's not well, like there was a Cuban know, missile crisis going on. It was a damned exercise, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, when you say that Reagan was converted uh, like like John Kennedy when you come close to destroying the planet, you, you kind of leave with you you don't have to be very impressionistic <laughs> to realize that you have an incredible responsibility. Now, The fly is in the ointment here at Reykjavik, 1986. Yeah, 86. All right. So Gorbachev goes to Reagan, as you well know, and he says, hey, let's get rid of all these nuclear weapons, for God's sake. They're just going to destroy us all. And Ronnie says, hmm. And he's he's got Maggie Thatcher in the back of his brain here. I said, oh, wow. I mean, mean we wouldn't have to come so close anymore. Wow. And then he goes to his advisors, right? And he says, what about this? And his advisors, some of them having worked for Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and the others, and going back to jobs there, said, but Mr. President, what would happen to Star Wars? What would happen to the ABM system, which will be so airtight that we can prevent any Soviet missiles from coming into the United States? What would happen to that? And Ronnie says, oh, yeah, I guess we can't do that. Man, that was close. That was close. And it was the military, industrial, congressional, intelligence, and media, academia, think tank complex that put the kibosh on that. That was, a, that was our last great moment where it could have happened with a very conservative Ronald Reagan in power and a a sensible Soviet leader named Mikhail Gorbachev.
0: Yep. That was probably the one and only chance ever. And, you know, uh, Joe Cirincione told me that story, and he got the story from Schultz himself. And the Mm -hmm. way he put it was that Reagan said, let's get rid of all the medium-range missiles, And Gorbachev said, done. And that's the INF treaty right there. And then Mm -hmm. Gorbachev said, let's get rid of all of them. And Reagan said to Schultz, they're the only guys in the room. This is the two presidents, the translator and Schultz. And Reagan says to Schultz, can we do that? And Schultz says, yes, let's do it. And that's the secretary of state and guy that, you know, I know you understand their relationship a hell of a lot better than me. I was a little kid at the time, but I know Reagan really counted on him. And so, you know, It was as close as you could be. They say like the Cuban Missile Crisis was the absolute brink of nuclear war. This is the absolute brink of the abolition of nuclear weapons from the face of the earth. And then opportunity blown.
1: Yeah, it would have been possible uh, whether they could ever have worked it out is another question. But... Well, point, oh, and I by like the way, make- you know,
0: he, he, he Cirincione described that they had a process in mind already that like America and the Soviet Union would get down to 200 each and then we'd be at parity with Britain and France and Israel and China. And then mm-hmm. from there, we'd work on the next stage, see if we can get everybody down to 100, see if we can get everybody down to 50. So it wasn't like magic pie in the sky stuff, but it was an absolute roadmap kind of laid out for how to do it. And it wasn't like the Bircher's fear either that, like, oh, we're going to turn them all over to the United Nations, world, state, or whatever. No, it was abolition under IAEA inspection and uh, could have worked. I mean, if Schultz thought it could have worked, then it could have worked. And I don't want to
1: hear it, you know? Yes. Yeah, the only, only problem is I know Schultz. I know Weinberger. I know the various national security assistants. That were in in power then, because I briefed them every other morning. Okay, uh, Schultz only gradually won complete confidence from Ronnie Reagan. Okay. Uh, in those years, early eighties, uh, Schultz was up against a phalanx uh, comprised of Weinberger, McFarland at the NSC, um, Bill Casey. Uh, at the CIA, Schultz was in the minority. So Schultz, in my view, knew that, well, (laughs) on KAL-007, Schultz would not have by himself accused the Russians of deliberately shooting down a passenger liner knowing it was a passenger liner. His people did that. Charles Wick and the TV people in the State Department. Did Schultz know that those 50 minutes were going to be whittled down in a dishonest way to eight minutes? I don't know. I know Schultz well enough to think that he was sort of mousetrapped on that, but he was vying. He was vying with these other guys, these troglodytes, Weinberger, my God. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm not going to talk out of turn here, but Weinberger and McFarland and Casey and the, all these guys. Now, the only person that Schultz pretty much had on his side was George H. W. Bush, but he wasn't going to going to stick his neck out on any of this. So, my point is simply this: it took years for Schultz to get into the position where Reagan would meet only with Schultz and Gorbachev, and Reagan would turn to Schultz and say, "This is possible?" And Schultz would say, "Yes, sir." Now, my only point after that is that there is many uh, what, many a slip between cup and lip. And uh, I, I didn't know that uh, Cirincione had told you that things had been worked out, the mechanics of this thing. So I think you're probably right. It might have worked. And, you know, this is the, the last great chance so far to save the planet. Yeah.
0: Hey, guys, check out my new sponsor. It's Peacehawk Coffee at peacehawk.coffee. First of all, business. You have to drink coffee in the morning, and you want it to taste good. Well, Peace Hot Coffee is the best from around the world. But then, just as important, Peace Hot Coffee donates at least a dollar of every pound sold to worthy foreign aid organizations like Yemen Relief and Reconstruction Foundation. When you buy Peace Hot Coffee, you're not only buying great coffee, you have a chance to support the economies of countries struggling against the effects of war and support private aid foundations doing life-saving work abroad. Sign up for their email list and get yourself some great coffee at peacehawk.coffee. Hey i will Scott Horton here for the Libertarian Institute at libertarianinstitute.org. I'm the director. Then we've got Sheldon Richmond, Kyle Anzalone, Keith Knight, Lori Calhoun, Jim Bovard, Connor Freeman, Will Porter, Patrick McFarlane, and Tommy Salmons on our staff, writing and podcasting. And we've also got a ton of other great writers, too, like Walter Block, Richard Booth, Boss Spleet, Kim Robinson, and William Van Wagenen. We've published eight books so far, including my latest, Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, and Keith Knight's new Voluntarist Handbook. And we've got quite a few more great ones coming soon. Check out libertarianinstitute.org books. It's a whole new era. We libertarians don't have the power, But we do have enough influence to try to lead the left and the right to make things right. Join us at libertarianinstitute.org. Gray's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back It sounds hyperbolic and alarmist, and so it's sort of a, it's a self-censoring kind of a thing, right? And you see this from the War Party. They talk about how we could have a war with Russia or regime change in Russia or even same thing with China um, without a nuclear war. In fact, without the existence of nuclear weapons even being mentioned or or taken into account. They just kind of, you know... Mm Because otherwise, your recommendation is one page long, and that is we can't do it. They got nukes, right? So, um, but then if you say, yeah, but there's a risk of nuclear war, then, well, you sound kind of crazy because there's no nuclear wars. And, you know, um, a good friend of mine has said to me a couple of times that, oh, come on. When I was a kid, they all said Ronald Reagan was going to blow up the world and then nuclear war. We didn't have a nuclear war then. And, you know, in the early Reagan years when he was, you know, the height of uh, brinksmanship against the USSR, we're sure as hell not going to have one now. And it does sound crazy because you'd have to be crazy to break out nuclear weapons, right? That's why they call it the nuclear taboo is because those were tactical size nukes and they were enough to destroy entire cities and kill hundreds of thousands of people. And, you know, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945, and that everybody knows now that if anybody uses them, major powers start using them against each other, then it's going to escalate to Armageddon, right? In the words of well, our own president. Well, well yeah, so, every, yeah. So, well, so as the former chief analyst of the Soviet division and all of that, can you put in real context here of what is the danger that these people could actually let their emotions run so wild that they start using nukes. And I don't just mean the Russians. I mean the Russians and or the Americans.
1: Or the Chinese.
0: Or the Chinese.
1: Yeah. Now, let me just uh, say this. Uh, The big difference, Scott, in my view, is that instead of Schultz...
0: Oh, God, we've got Anthony Blinken.
1: Need I mention Blinken?
0: Yeah, I got to take the rest of the day off.
1: Go ahead. (laughs) So... You know this. This is nothing to left, as my Russian teacher used to say. This is nothing to left. You got Blinken instead of Schultz. Now, uh, Biden has something has has taken a position that is internally inconsistent. He says Russia has to be defeated in Ukraine, and we have to avoid World War Three. Okay. Sorry to tell you, Mr. Biden, but you can't have both. You can't defeat Russia in Ukraine. Russia is going to win. It has the conventional capability. It's not running out of ammunition and weapons like the West is. It's going to win in Ukraine unless you want World War III. Now, are these bright people from the best schools, mind you, like Blinken and Sullivan and Newland and uh, Austin, uh, are they are they the same as the more rational people like Schultz, uh, like uh, George H W Bush, who could take Ronald Reagan aside and say, "Well, look, now we know uh, we know Weinberger has a bug up up his rear end uh, for." Uh, we Gorbachev, but we think Gorbachev is the real deal. Let's deal with There's nobody like that. No. Uh, you don't have to believe McGovern on this. Uh, at Valdai, the discussion club, on the 27th of October, Putin, uh, President Putin was asked this question. Is what about this growing tensions uh, between China and the U.S. over Taiwan and over other things? And uh, how do you explain the, the idea that, that uh, the U.S. wants to spoil relations with China at the same time as they're supplying billions worth of weapons to the Ukraine to fight against Russia? This is what Putin says, quote, frankly, I, I do not know why they are doing this. Are they sane? It seems that this runs completely counter to common sense and logic. This seems simply crazy. Now, it may seem that there is a subtle, profound plot behind this, but I think there is nothing there. No subtle thought. It is just nonsense and arrogance, nothing else. Such irrational actions are rooted in arrogance and a sense of impunity, period, End quote. Yeah. Now my point is simply this. If the Blinkens and Sullivans and Nolans of this world can do something so stupid as to take on the two other major powers in the world who are now joined in a virtual alliance. Look at the look at the statement the Chinese issued just three days ago. My God, it puts them together with Russia against the rest of uh, what the US is trying to do. So if these people can be so stupid as to adopt this kind of policy, you can't rule out the fact that when the US and NATO are taking it on the chin just one month or two months from now, and they have to decide, that is Blinken and not, Blinken and Sullivan and so forth. They have to decide whether to divide, President Biden, okay, uh, uh, Putin has stopped at the Dnieper River. It's time to deal. You know, we can make a deal. We can use a and we, we can save uh, part of Ukraine, including access to the Black Sea, if we deal. Or we can use these little nu- nukes, you know, these tiny little things. They're, they're no larger than the ones we used in Nagasaki. Uh, and we have them on submarines. now. We, we, what do you think, Mr. President? My God. I would hate to be Mr. Putin with the thought that uh, this was possible. And, you know, again, it doesn't matter what McGovern believes. You know, the, the, the Russian military have to look at capabilities, not intentions. And we have capabilities to start a little nuclear war. And if our back is up against the wall, I would not rule out for a moment that Blinken and Sullivan and those unwashed, superior people out of the best schools will do the same stupid things that their predecessors did. The best, the best, and the brightest in Vietnam, resulting in fifty-eight thousand casualties on the American side, three million on the Vietnamese side. At least we avoided nuclear war. Then I'm not so sure of it now. That's why we all have to get off our rear ends and do what we can put our bodies into this thing to make sure that our representatives such as they are are do the right thing and face these people down before they get us all killed.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying, too. And it's funny because, you know, they acknowledge the truth of this from time to time. And in a way, you know, there's a quote in The New York Times. They go, well, you know, we're boiling the frog. You have to turn up the heat slowly. So we're, you know, because otherwise the frog could jump out of the pot, which means Nuke Washington, D.C., right? They could, yeah, they could nuke Washington, D.C., uh, or worse, all of us. Um, and, and then I keep referring to this because it's pretty instructive, I think. You had the Munich Security Conference. And by the way, I'm halfway through an interview with Michael Tracy. i got to do the other half of the interview later today because we ran out of time. But Michael Tracy went to the Munich Security Conference and watched all of these freaks. And, you know, the worst news that he had was the consensus And the especially the consensus on the false narrative of, you know, how all of this happened and all of that. It's complete agreement of the innocence of the West and the darkness of Putin's side and all of that. So um, that was a big part Mm -hmm. of it. But but, so one of the things that's coming clear there, and, and this is in the defense one piece, Ray, is how the Americans keep saying as long as it takes, as long as it takes but they're they make it clear they don't want to I'm sorry I'm I'm kind of scanning as I'm babbling here looking for the great quote but it the point is um they know that if they do what it takes to help Ukraine actually win presuming they have the manpower for the sake of argument and give them the the amount of weapons that it would take to really destroy Russia's military in Ukraine and force them out that to do that would cause a war with Russia and possibly a nuclear war they know that so they are not willing to do that. Their goal instead is to essentially drag this on at more or less the status quo until Russia is just exhausted. And in fact, they even say, I'm trying to find it where they talk about, you know, it. we don't want to negotiate. Uh, But we don't want, like, this swift and, and, you know, sweeping defeat of Russia either that'll provoke a worse response. What we want is, even if it takes 10 years, Ray, as though we'll all survive that long— if it takes ten years, we want the Russians to finally just give up, exhausted, and withdraw like Afghanistan '89. That's the model, and they're willing to keep this thing going and going and going at what they consider to be what low-level warfare, relatively speaking. Which, of course, is any, any you know anything but for the people on the front there who are being blown to bits by artillery and tank shells and things right now on both sides. Um,
1: well, yeah, you're right. So, I mean, this is like crazy, that. right?
0: Like it's, they're saying, you're right, McGovern. We can't really win. That's why we're trying to just keep it going. for Like, it, like the way the Israelis talked about Syria 10 years ago. We just want yes. to continue to see them hemorrhage to death and all this That's kind of craziness.
1: It's totally illusory, the more so since China, India, Indonesia, South Africa, Iran, Brazil. They're not going to let it happen. China? knows it's next in line for God's sake it doesn't have to suspect that it reads that in US policy documents the only hope really is in the next several months will the german people realize what the hell is going on now scholz chancellor scholz was at the next podium on the the 7th of february 2000 and 22, when Biden said, yeah, we'll put an end to the, we can do that, uh, trust me, we can put an end to the Nord Stream pipeline. Now, what did Schultz do? He was asked, how do how, you how explain this, Chancellor Schultz?" And what he said was this, we do everything together. Together, we proceed on these critical problems. <laughs> we don't do anything without doing it together. So, what the German people need to ask is, oh, so, Chancellor Scholz, uh, did you do this together? Did did Biden tell you he was going to blow up this pipeline so important to us? Or did he forget to tell you when you were together there after the plan, plans were well advanced? Together. What does together mean? Does together mean we freeze to death and our industry all leaves for the parts? What does together mean, Mr. Schulz? That's what has to happen. The Germans have to grow up. They have to realize that they're adults. Unlike after World War II, they can stand on their own at least to keep warm during the winter. Yeah. You
0: know, when the war started, McGregor said, well, you know, the saving grace here is the Germans eventually, hopefully sooner than later, are going to say, all right, all right, all right. The same way they did with Minsk One and Two back in 14. And, Look, how many refugees are we going to take? How much disruption? I mean, this is not in Afghanistan, on the other side of Uzbekistan from everybody. This is right here, uh, you know, on the doorstep of Europe, anyway, right at the border of it. So yeah, but th-
1: there's yeah. a big difference, uh, Scott. Those refugees are white. Well, those still, are white white refugees, and, and I th- I want to make this point, okay? Okay. It's it's now the Lily White West. Against the rest of the world, most of them people of color. About eighty percent of the rest of the world. Well, the Russians throw, are white too, though. Well, yeah, you throw in the black. They're no longer white, in uh, in propagandistic terms here in the United States. They've yeah. been blackened to the point when, of course, they're half Oriental as well. So That's uh, the George you know Carlin joke. Joe he even, says,
0: when's the last white people you can remember we bombed? The Germans. And that's just because they were trying to cut in on our action. <laughs> Dominate the world. That's our well, job.
1: Well, I want to give you a little Kipling here. It is not wise for the Christian white to hustle the Asian brown. For the Asian smiles and the Christian riles, but the Asian weareth the Christian down. At the end of the fight lies a tombstone white with the name of the late deceased and the epitaph drear. A fool lies here who tried to hustle the East. It's not a, it's, it's, uh, the Chinese used to say, Scott, it's going to come to a no good end unless more responsible people. Enter the room and start acting like adults in the White House, yep. not elsewhere.
0: Yep. All right, listen, I'm sorry. I got to go and you got to go, but it's worth bringing up here for what it's worth. And I know he was already a very, very lousy president, and I'm not saying anything about the man himself necessarily, but I'm just saying, I don't know if you saw Donald Trump's statement the other day where he I goes did. hard <laughs> against the Mickey Matt. He goes hard <laughs> against the whole deep state structure. He calls it that. The military, industrial, and national security state, and he names the Pentagon, the CIA, and the State Department. He confirms, or at least accuses. Um, I don't know if he read the actual brief on it or not, but uh, says that Newland did the coup, or you know, the State Department did the coup in Ukraine that led to this crisis. And he's got at least a year before, you know, a year and and a few months before the convention. Uh, And then, you know, possibly a year and a half at this. And he's already decided that. And and I don't know if this will stick or not. But so far, he's decided that his take is that all the other Republicans have Nikki Haley's George W. Bush foreign policy, which is true. Right. DeSantis and all of the rest of them. They're all George W. Bush. They're all Lindsey Graham, his best friend. And he does whatever Lindsey Graham says. But anyway, they're all, you know, uh what he calls liberal interventionists, globalists, and he is staking himself out as the true, you know, uh right wing populist on an anti-war position, saying if I was the president, I would end the war. And look, I'm not saying that's true or he deserves the benefit of the doubt or whatever for his good faith necessarily or anything like that. But all I'm saying is he could be saying what um Uh, is it michael mccall the congressman from texas is saying which is that biden's a wimp and biden is weak and biden needs to be 10 times tougher that's what a republican is supposed to say that that democrats are weak and effeminate and what a real man would do is triple down and donald trump instead is saying no that's what a weak loser like you would do dude which is oh my god that's the (laughs) you know just rhetorically speaking that's the most important invention of Donald Trump and and really of our current political era is that you have that kind of position being argued from the right against, you know, and putting it's putting biz- right wing hawks in the center with John McCain's corpse. You know,
1: <laughs> it's bizarre. And of course, that is it's why beautiful. they emasculated him. That is why they made it impossible for him to reach out and have a decent relationship with Russia. That is why two weeks before he took office, Chuck Schumer told, uh, what's her name, uh, Rachel Maddow, oh, ho, ho. Trump is being very foolish and taking on the intelligence community because they have six ways to send they to get back at you. He better not try to do that. Well, he did try to do that. Look what happened to him. I'm not saying that he's, uh, I think on this, he's exactly right. Uh, but all I'm saying is that the deep state is very, very powerful. Uh, the Chuck Schumers of this world have been co-opted into it. And so we have to find some other way than try to persuade the Chuck Schumers of this world that we ain't mean business. We don't want war. And we're willing to put our bodies into it to make sure that this point is made.
0: Yep, absolutely right. All right, thank you so much again for your time, Ray. Love talking to you. Okay, thanks. All right, you guys, that's the great Ray McGovern. He's at antiwar.com. The Scott Horton Show, Antiwar Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, APSradio.com, antiwar.com, scotthorton.org, and libertarianinstitute.org.